Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. We begin his word in Genesis 2, verse 15, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And Genesis 3 reads, And to Adam he said, But you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Let's bow our heads in prayer, everybody. And if your desire, where you are, just with your heads bowed, is to live out your life for God, for um, that which matters eternally beyond ourselves. Can I just get you to lift your hands right from the start? We're going to give our lives afresh to him. Father, you see these hands lifted in this place. Lord, more than just meeting, Lord, we pray for an eternal deposit of your spirit in this place that will cause us with conviction to live out the life that you've called us to live. For the things of this world matter not in the scope of eternity. And so, God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit's challenge this morning to live a life that matters for eternity, Lord God, that matters for your glory, God, beyond the things of this world. We pray, God, that you would come and do this work in us as we delve into your word today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Uh, While we're going through this new series, we're starting a new series in the word of God. We're going to be looking primarily around the Genesis Uh, The first three chapters in Genesis, just to lay the table, but also throughout the rest of Scripture, looking at God's design for uh, creativity and work, and how God has called us to make and to create uh, out of His nature as the Creator. So in this series, we're going to look at how to connect our work to God's plan for our world. And the title of our opening message today is called Created to Workship. That's not a misspelling, that is... Uh, what we're talking about today, created to worship. Let's just start by diving right into the deep end, because those of you who have been at Every Nation Brisbane know how we do. We dive into the deep end, and I ask a question just to open us up today. And the question I want to ask you today is, what are you making of your life? What are you making, keyword there, making of your life? 
Now, if we're to understand what we're making of our lives, I think we can either go one of two ways. We can either try to discover it in our own volition, in our own understanding, or we can go to the manual, which is the Bible, uh, to understand God's design for how he has created us. Now, those of you who have been around Every Nation Brisbane know that uh, the law of hermeneutics, which means the interpretation of the scriptures, uh, one of the laws of hermeneutics is the law of first mention. And so that's the reason why we'll be delving into Genesis in particular, because this is where the first mention of many themes that run concurrently throughout scripture actually find their start. So when you're looking at what we were designed to do, uh, we must go to Genesis, because that's where we see it first mentioned, and then it runs prevalently throughout the rest of scripture. And so where we find this is actually in part of the passage that uh, Samantha read for us earlier, and that is from verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. So if you're taking notes, I highly recommend you take notes on this one because we're going to be, be um, diving all around the scriptures today, and um, I know your brain capacity may be able to carry a lot of it, but this will help you to be able to refer to the scriptures and, and go back and do your own study in your own time. But uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, there is a mention of further purpose earlier, of which we'll start, uh, we'll look at in a moment in Genesis 1. But this is after God's fully formed the creation. This is where God puts him in the, in the garden for a purpose. Now, I need you to understand this, okay? You can turn to your neighbor and do a check with them, okay? I need you to understand this. You were released in this point of history for a purpose. God could have released you in the 17th century. How many of you would want to be born in the 17th century? A lot of shaking hands right there. Joma is shaking his head off right now. He's like, no way, all right? Some of you who were born after 2000 do not know what it is like to have a world without the internet. You know, many of you have heard me joke, right? When I, do, when I lose sight of where my kids are, all I have to do is switch the modem off. And then they come running out and like, what happened? Where is that? There they are. You know, so, so, so some of us don't know what life is like without data, without internet. But I don't know what it's like to have a life without electricity. How many of you remember that, right? Like there's, there's no life, unless some of us grew up in, in certain areas where there wasn't that access to electricity. Um, but God, in his sovereign wisdom, decided to release you at this point in time. So you are alive with a purpose at this particular point in time in history. And here's the purpose. It's to work it and to keep it. Now, he didn't necessarily place you in a garden of sorts, although Brisbane is a beautiful place with, with garden-type uh, vibes, so to speak. The vibes are immaculate here in Brisbane. But he has called us here to what? To work it and to keep it. Let's break that down, okay? Uh, Andy Crouch, I highly recommend a book if you're interested in like uh, understanding how we are to impact culture. Uh, he wrote a book called Culture Making, and in it he describes the cycle of which humanity falls into, especially within churches. If we are not conscious of working it and keeping it, we fall into the cycle as Christians. We start with these four C's, because how many of you know Christians and especially pastors, we like alliteration, right? Condemning culture, firstly. Then we critique culture. Then we end up consuming culture. And then we end up copying culture. 
Let me say those four things again. If you are if you are absent of knowing this purpose that God has created you for, you fall into a cycle, a downward spiral of condemning culture, critiquing culture, consuming culture, and then copying culture. What we mean by that is that you, you've got to understand what culture means. Culture is your natural, your natural flow of how you do life, right? Culture is the natural way you do things. If you're put into an environment... There is a way of which you will operate that becomes the culture of how you flow into things. Culture is not just ethnicity. Because some people will, um, will, will, will think that culture is merely your ethnic background. No, it's not. How many of you know there's hip-hop culture? There's rugby culture. There's gaming culture. There's a different culture of which how to operate. Now, if you take somebody that's not familiar within that culture, they may not know how to operate within that culture. You all feel me? You understand? And so this is what happens. If you don't understand how to operate in kingdom culture, what ends up happening, you fall into the cycle of condemning culture. You condemn it. You, you're like, that is evil, that is wrong. And there may be elements of it that are evil and wrong. You start critiquing it. You start pointing your finger at it. Well, I give that a 5 out of 10. Then you start consuming it, and then slowly you begin to copy it, where there is no difference between yourself and the culture. How many of you know we are to be in the world, in the culture, but not of the culture? So when we look at it, he gives us another two C's of which I will give you later on in, in terms of describing how we are to operate within the culture of this world. And when we talk about culture, it comes from a root word of one of the C's, which is to cultivate, right? And I'm reminded, right, if we're to look at our purpose, if we're to go to passages like Isaiah 43, 21, which says, the people I formed for myself, this is obviously God talking, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. So the reason why you were created is to glorify God. The reason why you were created is to worship him. Let me say that again. You were created to worship. And every single person on this planet is a worshiper. It's just a matter of what or who they are worshiping. Right? Many of you may have seen in the culture of today a particular photo in a movie theater that had two of the most prominent figures in pop culture right now, one of them attending another one's movies. It was Beyonce and Taylor Swift, right? Two of the most prominent figures that are shaping culture right now. And so our approach to, their approach towards one another is to, to promote everything's like so calculated in that world, right? In terms of how they position one another so as to create a culture that will consume what they are putting out into the world. But how do we define worship? See, if, if it is uh, your favorite pop star or your favorite rugby player or your favorite brand of clothing, whatever it is, whatever you are willing to sacrifice for becomes what you worship because we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And if you've been around me for more than five minutes, you'll hear me quote this verse because it's the only place in the Bible that implicitly defines what worship is. What does it say? It says, therefore, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's verse 2. Verse 1 talks about, firstly, I urge you, brothers, and sisters, to offer yourselves as what? Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before God, for this is your spiritual worship. And then you renew your mind in verse 2, in accordance with what you worship. So every single person in here, every single person in Brisbane is a worshiper of something 
or someone. It's a matter of what they're willing to sacrifice for. Right? There's a difference between being a supporter and being a worshiper. Like, you can support something. You can get behind something. But do you worship it? Does your life revolve around it? You know and I know that sports teams make terrible gods. Now, again, I wear an All Blacks jersey today because we won. But if we lost, y'all know I probably wouldn't wear my All Blacks jersey, right? I, I just think about it. You know, like, it's, it's hard being a Queenslander because we keep winning all the time. You know, they're just a maroon supporter. Do you know that, that internationally, in any international sport, the All Blacks are the most winningest team in history? But even I can't bank my life on the All Blacks, especially recently. I mean, for us to be number five and the Irish team to be number one, there's obviously been performances of which the All Blacks have not been as reliable. And there was a lot of, a lot, a, a lot of bated breath, I, even myself, like wondering, are we really going to win it tonight? Are we, are we really going to win it this morning? Sometimes you don't win. And so... When we worship these gods that fail us, how many of you know, like you can, you can support things, you can, so, you can even invest in things, but when you worship them, you put your life on the altar of those things as if they are going to 100% carry you through every situation. Right now, we live in a time of turmoil. Economically, there is a time of turmoil right now. The share market is so uh, unstable right now. There's a a lot of volatility in in the financial market. And a lot of that is dictated by what's happening in the world, whether it's in China or the Middle East or right now in the Gaza Strip or Ukraine and Russia. There's so much uncertainty of these things that are happening that if we bank on anything in this world, we will find ourselves always worrying and falling short. But how many of you know we serve a God who never fails? He's never lost a battle. That was about four people who believe that right now. Come on. Our God has never failed. He has never lost any time at all. And so he is worthy of our worship. The word worship comes from the old English word, worthship. Because you give your worth towards what is worthy. Or who is worthy. And as much as I love the All Blacks, they're not worthy of my worship. As much as I love the Queensland Maroons, they're not worthy of my worship. How many of you know, like, you can even have your favorite person that you look up to, your favorite creative person, your favorite business person? Like, about five years ago, it was cool to believe in Kanye West, but how many of you know, like, right now, it's a little iffy, right? Still buy the shoes, but what do you worship? Who do you worship? Because then it determines how you live in the space of the culture of what you are engaging with and how you live should be not those four C's that I gave you before, but to work it and to keep it. The way that Andy Crouch describes those working it and keeping it elements is in these two C words, which is to create and to cultivate. To make beautiful things and to cultivate an environment of which his kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. This is what you were created for. This is how you are to worship God. Because some of us would say, I'm created to worship. So you go to your workplace and blast some, some of your favorite worship artists. And then you start singing when your boss is like, hey, can you work, please? 
How many of you know worship is not just slow Christian songs? Worship is doing good work to the glory of God. It's really sad, right? When we have Christian companies or Christian uh, enterprises or Christian uh, startups or people that claim to be Christian, and yet the things that they produce are substandard to that which exists in the culture when we have the force of the almighty creator flowing in us and through us through the Holy Spirit. We should be the ones innovating. We should be the standard holders. As a musician, I wonder why, you know, you walk into Christian bookstores. Yes, they still have those. I think that Kurong is the only place that still sells CDs, <laughs> which says a lot. Because the rest of the world is on streaming, right? But you can still get CDs and DVDs. Not even Blu-ray, DVDs at Kurong. That says a lot about where we are in the culture. And you go and uh, give me your best Christian movie. And then they give it to you. And then you pop it in your DVD player. Remember those? You play it. How many of you are expecting like groundbreaking screenplays and production Come on, let's be real. Like a lot of the times when it comes to us as Christians, we don't produce on the level of which it engages formally with the culture. Because we are supposed to be the salt of the what? Church? No, salt of the earth, salt of the world. The light is supposed to shine in the darkness. Yet yeah, we've got a lot of lighting stores. What do I mean by lighting stores? A lot of us, you know, this is a lighting store right now. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have lights, right? Some of us came looking like Sia chandeliers, right? Came into this place looking beautiful. You look great. Turn to three people around you right now and tell them, you look great this morning. Yeah, you do. You look great. But <laughs> I need you to understand this though, right? <laughs> Your light was not just meant to shine here. Your light was called to be a light in the darkness, and that's, that's what God has called us to do in terms of creating and cultivating an environment where people meet Jesus in the darkness. And yet, our Christianity sometimes is so secret, it's so personal, even sometimes we surprise ourselves that we're Christian. Oh, I didn't know I was a Christian. <laughs> and so what does the enemy do? He turns us from creators and cultivators to consumers. Now, consuming is not necessarily a bad thing. But when our life is consumed with the things of this world, that's when we fail to, to meet what God has and who God has called us to be. You know, in Genesis 3, we move on. The serpent, you all know this story. And if you don't, I'll go through it again. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So in the first three verses of chapter 3, the enemy says, did God really say? How many of you have heard the enemy ask you that question? Did God really say that? And then she, of course, comes with the Sunday school verse that she remembered. Yes, we are not to eat from the tree or we will surely die. Well done. But you've got it in your head. But let me see if I've, you've got it in your heart. The serpent says, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So here she goes. She starts to logically process herself away from the calling of God to create and cultivate, to actually enter into a realm of consumption. 
Let me give you a couple of other examples of this. I'll give you one just for time's sake. You know, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and then into 12, we read about David, right? David is supposed to be creating and cultivating new environments with his army, taking territory for the kingdom of God. But he finds himself in a place where he sends everybody else into battle and he's just leisurely going about and just full of himself on the roof. And then he sees a moment of temptation and temptation always calls you to consume, to take. The way you can always tell it's God is because God is always giving and generous. But the enemy will always be like, no, you can take that. You can consume that. And so what does he do? He becomes consumed with this temptation towards lust and therefore murder. Commits adultery with Bathsheba. Murders one of his most faithful generals in order that he may fulfill this desire. Consumption starts to consume him. So as we read here, the woman slowly starts to see, look, I'm not giving you my worship anymore. I want to take. I want to take from the tree that you've told me not to take from. Thinking that that might fulfill her in some way. Thinking that what the world has to offer might fulfill you in some way. That God's way does not work. And so therefore, I will settle for what this world has and try to consume it in my own way. How many of you know that never works? It might work for a little while. It might fulfill you for a little while, but it doesn't work in the scope of eternity. And so she took of it and uh, took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. Hello, this guy, who was with her, and he ate. Gets me every time. The dude was there the whole time. Of all times, to speak up and to lead, he is silent. And the eyes of both of them were open, and then they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's the thing. God had called them to create and cultivate within the garden. Now they'd taken elements of the garden to cover up their sin. And so they're working now, but the work is different now. The work is to cover up their fallibility. And how many of you know, since the history, throughout the history, all of history and time, we have been so consumed that we try to cover up our sense of a broken identity with the fig leaves of which society tries to provide us with, whether it's our investment profile, whether it's our, our, our status at work, whether it's our relationship status, whether it's our Instagram profile, Mad filtered so that everybody can see how perfect our life is with a cup of coffee, of course. Probably from Willie. <laughs> Beautifully manicured with the right filter so that everybody can see you're okay when beyond the fig leaf of that Instagram profile picture, there is such a brokenness inside of which you put your fig leaf up so that everybody can see we gonna be all right. All right? Work has been shifted from a place of fulfillment in worship to a place of trying to cover up our broken identity. And so this is what happens. Like God finds them, not that he lost them, finds them hiding. Adam makes this statement after God asks him, where are you? He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so God basically speaks to the serpent. He speaks to the woman, and this is what he says to Adam, the man. He says, 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which God had com- which I had commanded you. Let me just say this, all right? Men, this is not a prescriptive scripture. This is a descriptive scripture. Some of you all are looking at me like, see, I told you I shouldn't listen to my wife. This is what happened. No, 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 no. No, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. This is just describe. That's a bit loud on this side, all right? This is a little loud on this side. <laughs> a lot of elbows happening right now. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Now, I want to read to you from the NIV because there's this word here uh, in the place where it describes uh, in pain you shall eat of it. Um, that, that actually is a little more uh, it's a, a little more expressive from the, the original Hebrew. And the NIV says, Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. Everybody say toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. So what happens is that they've moved from a place where work is worship to God in that oneness with him to a place being separated from God, and now work has become toil. Well, what's the difference here? Uh, in one of the commentaries, Leland Riker uh, writes in, uh, about this pas- passage in the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. He says, The first image of human work in the Bible stresses its perfection. Work existed in the time of human innocence in paradise, as the Protestant reformers never tired of pointing out. The notion of work as part of God's design for human life is captured in the majestic simplicity of Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. But here, human work is shown to have worth. So there's the worship, right? As dignity, as a service to God and as something that gives purpose to human life. Work is here a creation ordinance. A God-appointed necessity for human life. Work does not originate with the fall. How many of you noticed that? Work came before the fall. Let me say this again for all my single people here. Work came before the wife. I'm just saying. Just, just put that out there, right? Just in case. Just in case. Work does not originate with the fall as if often erroneously claimed The fall neither cancels God's command to work, nor does it introduce work into the world. What is new is work as a curse and as toil, something that must be accomplished against the hostility of the environment. So there's a difference here in work and toil. See, work flows out of calling and purpose, whereas toil flows out of fallenness to cover up our fallenness. Right? Work flows out of our identity in him. Toil becomes your identity. So we are created, according to Ephesians 2, we are created what? For good works. So we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then he talks about how we are God's masterpiece in the NIV and that we are created for good works. So we aren't just created just to sit there. We are created to do good works, to make beautiful stuff for his glory. We are created for good works, not saved by good works. 
There's a difference. I am not saved by my attempts through my fig leaf ministry to try and attain some form of salvation of which he has already purchased through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. But because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because I am saved and I have the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit flowing in my life and through my life, I am saved for good works. I make things beautifully to the glory of God with my best effort for the glory of God. We are saved for work, not saved by work. You're with me? Just to make that clear. Genesis continues and says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So obviously, this is God's statement towards Adam and Eve and the serpent. But here's the thing. Does he just let them go that way? No, he can't. I want you to see this. I want you to see the beauty of God's grace, even in Genesis chapter 3. Despite their fall, the man called his wife name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So even in the midst of that, God gives the authority to the man to call his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, we're, we're, at this point, were there any sons and daughters? Yeah, no. So there's still the capacity by the power of God, even though they've fallen, to prophesy and to call out and to name this woman the destiny that God has for her life. How many of you know, despite our fallenness, God still calls out your destiny, still calls out your purpose. He still says, you are the, money, uh, you are the mother of many nations. He still gives her a name. And what gets me every time is this verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife, Garments of skins clothed and clothed them. Man's attempts, fig leaves. God, the sacrifice of an animal in order to clothe them. They already had their clothes. Could have sent them on their way. Those Versace fig leaves. He says, no. I'm going to cover you in a sacrificed animal that will be the precursor for one who will be sacrificed to cover all of humanity, especially after I've named her the father of the mother of many nations. You're with me. This is a precursor to the gospel right there in Genesis chapter 3. That our fig leaves are never enough. And God still covers us despite our fallenness. God still desires to cover you despite your failures, despite your attempts. You become so consumed. And I become so consumed in this life that God still calls us into this destiny and this purpose that he has for us. So as I wind this up today, I wanted to ask you two questions, just two questions. And let this be a challenge to your life. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray into this and to discuss this with the people next to you. And this should apply to your everyday life, right? These questions are simply, in your everyday life, are you more a consumer or a producer? Are you more a consumer or a producer? Are you putting into this world beautiful stuff that, cre that, that is created and cultivated to give God glory? If you're a teacher here, if you're an educator here, are you preparing your lessons beautifully or are you just preparing them week to week? 
If you own a company, are you just like just trying to make it to Friday? Thank God it's Friday. Or do you see each day as a gift and an opportunity to put beauty into this world in order to reflect the glory of God? If you're a student here, and just study week to week, I just want to get through these exams. Or you can see the destiny and purpose that God has for you in the work that you do and create beautiful work in the stuff that you produce. Or, you know, whether it's essays, assignments, or even those things called exams. I know. It's hard to equate beauty in exams. I know. I know what that's like. Now, as I said right at the start, I'm going to go back to the first calling that God has for humankind, which can be found in Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them. Speaking of Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There you see God's objective there reflected in creativity and cultivating, right? Because what you are called there to do is to be fruitful. Fruit comes from seed. Seed is sown into the ground, and then it needs to be cultivated in terms of watering, in terms of photosynthesis, and, and the whole process of fertilization in order that it may germinate and grow into something that bears fruit. So it takes time. I don't know if you're like me. That's why I'm not a good gardener, because I'll sow a seed, and then I expect by Tuesday that there should be a full fruit tree by then. But like, how many of you know? It takes cultivation and creation in order that they may fester up into something which forms fruit. In life, and so you see that be fruitful. Everybody say, Be fruitful. Turn to somebody, encourage them. You're called to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, in the Old Testament, that's obviously genetically right, we're to bear fruit in marriage, we bear fruit in terms of sons and daughters. But in the New Testament, that is true, but it's true in the form of Matthew 28, where we're to be fruitful and multiply in discipleship. We're to create beautiful environments where people encounter the gospel, and then when they hear the gospel, their impact is to the point where the seed of God's gospel gets in their heart and germinates into life and life abundantly. Isaiah says that the seed of his word will not return void, but will accomplish the task for which it was sent. So every time you are sowing the seed of the gospel into the life of somebody, don't expect by Tuesday it's going to grow. I mean, it can. God is the God of miracles. But how many of you know, most of the time it takes a while to germinate. Just keep being faithful to sow. Be fruitful and multiply. The second question I have for you. So the first one was, are you more a consumer or more a producer? Because how many of you know we can come into church and carry the mindset of a consumer? I just come here for what I can get from church. Oh, the worship wasn't like doing it for me this week. They didn't sing my favorites. I mean, where's the carpet? How can I get on my knees before Jesus without carpet, you know? I don't know. Bring your own mats. I don't know. Everything's about consuming, you know, it's not really doing it for me. I mean, he was wearing an All Blacks jersey when he was preaching. He should be wearing a suit. And then if I wear a suit, he's wearing too much. He's doing too much now. Oh, my gosh. Like, if I, if I was here as your pastor to please you, and I, you know, of course I want to serve you, but I'm not going to be able to please you if you come with the heart of a consumer. But if you come with the heart of one who's creative and a cultivator, then what I'm doing is helping you to garden well helping you to cultivate well, helping you to take the seeds of God's word well and to apply them in your life. But if you come here and it's like, uh, you know, like it's a lolly scramble, just open your mouth, ah, let me just grab that spiritual truth. 
you know, print it out and put it on my, my mirror so that I can, you know, be reflective. Maybe even take a photo with that verse for my Instagram. Let's stop with the consuming in the kingdom of God. The second question I ask you is, what has God given you to create and to cultivate? Again, we've got many students, so shout out to uh, my, my youth here. You know, the, maybe the area that he's given you to create and cultivate in is, is in your sports teams or in, at your school. Uh, your workplace, for those of you who are working, those of you who have a business, maybe that's the area God's called you to create and cultivate. You know, I was just thinking about my dear friend Jordy up here, who's an amazing choreographer. You know, like when she creates a, uh, a, a, a choreography to a piece of work, it's not just to accompany a piece of music, it's to, to glorify God because the steps of which she uh, steps out into make, to, to make the music accentuated in a way that, that brings glory to her creator is, is simply beautiful. And that reflects God's glory. You may be even in here as somebody who does IT and go, there's nothing beautiful about coding. Yes, there is. Like when you code, code to the glory of God, create coding that glorifies him and what is reflective of his design for coding. It's sometimes hard to see that, but you are in a position. I'm a cleaner. Then clean to the glory of God. All of it is to the glory of God. When I was preparing this message, I, I take this seriously. When I get the opportunity to serve you, I'll just let you in on a little something, right? When you've been doing this for a while, you can either go in a manner that's kind of uh, cut and paste because you know how to do it. Or you can see this as an opportunity to glorify God in your service to other people. And I see this as an opportunity to serve my spiritual family, to take the scriptures and dissect them and look, look at them in a way that might serve you and might bring Jesus to you to activate you in what God's called you to create and cultivate. And I pray that, that you'll be able to see your work in that way because otherwise, what happens? Fig leaves. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God takes you and puts you in fill in the blanks. Or puts you in, let me just say it, puts you in Brisbane. Pastor Nelly, I'm only here for another six months, then I'm going, be faithful in that six months. Don't leave before you jump on a plane. Be faithful to work it and to keep it while you are here. Because if you're faithful here, he will entrust you with much wherever God leads you. So here are the two questions, and I'm going to pray for us today. And if God is leading you by his spirit to take what he's Deposit it in you. I want to pray for you to create and cultivate an environment where people will meet Jesus right where you are. If that's you today, can I just get you to lift your hands and just say, God, take my specific sphere uh, and, and use it to create and cultivate environments where you'll be glorified. Awesome. Just lift your hands to him if that's you. Father, I just pray for all of us here who are taking this opportunity, who recognize where you've put us, where you've placed us to create and cultivate environments where you may be encountered. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would fill us to shine for your glory. Lord, I pray for integrity. I pray, Lord, that we would be the same people that we are around, uh, around our Christian friends as well as those who don't know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to walk in a spirit of excellence 
to, to create things that are beautiful for your glory. When I think about the, the artists of the Renaissance, Lord, uh, who, who were the best at what they did. When I think about the musicians like Johann Sebastian Bach, Lord God, who created such intricate pieces of work, Lord, for your glory. When I think about those who are involved in architecture, Lord God, of, of, of days of old, Lord God. Father, I think about those who were creative and created new things, but they created them for your glory. And I pray, Lord, wherever you've placed us, help us to see how we might work it and keep it for your glory, how we might create and cultivate for your glory. Attach us to your purpose in Jesus' name. Just keep your hands lifted. I really believe with all my heart that those of you who have your hands lifted prophetically, that God is going to impact lives by the way you stand for Him, for His glory, to shine for His glory and doing excellent work. The Lord would say, remember not the former things or the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert. I am bringing forth springs of water in the death place. God is going to use you to bring about an oasis for His glory where people will be able to drink from the living water through what you create, through what you make for His glory. Father, attach us to your purpose as to why you brought us here to Brisbane, why you put us in this specific area of influence, Lord God. Father, I praise you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.